Welcome to the Working Mama podcast, a show that provides real-world tips, tricks, and advice to all working mamas on how they can have a career, family, and hopefully one day break the glass ceiling. My name is Karina O'Brien, a fellow working parent trying to manage the juggle. Each week, we'll be looking at all things related to working parents with special guests and solo episodes to help you navigate the world of having children and a career. Now on to today's guest, Catherine Young. Frustrated with the lack of balanced representation at events, Kathy founded Keynote Worthy as a way to amplify the voices of the everyday speaker. She believed that there is no shortage of talent out there and wanted to make it easier for event professionals to find amazing people. Outside Keynote Worthy, Kathy is a writer in the field of human resources, specialising in diversity, inclusion and thought leadership. She is also an amateur comedian and loves to use humour to bring people together. Now, let's head over to the chat. Good afternoon, mamas, and I'd like today to welcome our special guest, Catherine, and who I'm really looking forward to speaking with. So welcome, Catherine. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. This um, working mama thing is just, you know, it's so... Such, it's so needed because there's so much, um, you know, as you know, stigma around working moms. So I'm really excited about continuing this conversation, um, having an open conversation. And um, yeah, thank you for having me. Oh, no, the pleasure's all ours and I can't wait to, uh, to get into it. So how about we get it started and why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Okay. So I, um, my name is Catherine. Hi everyone. And I'm Australian born to Vietnamese parents. My parents came here as Vietnamese refugees. Um, I've got a little boy. His name is Hendrik after the gin. Good choice. (laughs) I know, I know with a slice of cucumber. Um, he doesn't actually like cucumber by the way, which is really odd, but anyway, um, so, and I've got two little dogs as well, which you know, some people might think this is weird, but hey, I'm a millennial. Um, I've got, yeah, two little dogs, one pug and one uh, cavoodle. And I'm a writer uh, professionally and also uh, amateur stand-up comedian. And I've got a, you know, bunch of little side hustles as well. So yeah, that's a bit about me in a nutshell. Oh, wow. Can't wait to uh, hear more about those side hustles later on during the chat. So you've obviously got a bit of a diverse background. What's been your career path um, that brings us here today? Yeah, so professionally, I'm a writer, but started off my career in HR. And the reason why I chose HR as a profession, because, I mean, my parents expected me to go to uni. And so I thought, okay, I'll just do something safe, which is a business degree. And I wasn't good at accounting or, you know, the typical subjects that my Asian parents wanted me to do. So I thought, hey, human resources doesn't have, you know, those kind of number <laughs> subjects. Yeah. So I, um, yeah, kind of started my career in HR because I, I studied HR, but it, it actually worked out really well and I really enjoyed it um, for the first couple of years. I worked for big corporates such as Westpac and IAG and now today I balance my time between my businesses, um, one being Keynote Worthy, uh, a copywriting business and a couple of other um, side hustles like I mentioned before and, and projects as well. Um, yeah, that's a bit about my career path to this day. 
How exciting. And how have you gone about making some of those changes? Has it been just organic, just through opportunities or just really good ideas as well of starting the side hustles? Yeah, so in terms of a career, I think my definition of a career has changed and I'm not sure if you're um, familiar with Elizabeth Gilbert, the writer of Eat, Pray, Love. I love, I love her to bits. I listen to her podcast as well. But she's got a very interesting perspective on career, which I absolutely agree on. So her perspective is that a career should be something that you love to do. Not everyone has a career and that is okay. Whereas a job is something that you do to earn money. You might not like it. It doesn't have to be awesome, but it pays the bills. And a vocation, she mentioned, is something that you enjoy doing. So, like, for example, knitting, you know, I mean, I don't like knitting, but I just thought of it at the top of my head. But so in terms of, I mean, I'm so lucky right now that my career as a writer, I love doing it. But so I also do writing as a job. So uh, let me explain. So um, part of my job, I've got a part-time job at another place and I'm their writer. Um, So I specialise in HR. Um, I report on any unfair dismissal cases and and that sort of thing. And to me, that is a job because it's very repetitive. So I'm always having to read cases and and some of them are not very exciting. It's like unfair dismissals, works comp, psychological injuries. I mean, some of them are quite triggering. And, I mean, I, I do like the job in a way but then yes it's it pays the bills it helps pay the mortgage so for me that is a job and in terms of a career that is my copywriting business because I get to work with so many a diverse range of clients and I get to know and understand their businesses um, and yeah just really get to know them and I wouldn't get that opportunity in my job and in terms of a vocation I also do writing, so which is my book, um, which I'm yeah, currently working on. Hopefully, we'll, fingers crossed, will be released next year. Um, but it's on uh, career strategies for Asian women. I mean, anyone can read it, but I think it's just it's part memoir and part kind of self help. But yeah, so that's my roundabout <laughs> way of talking about my career. But I just wanted to kind of say that yeah, my career is also part is writing but it's also a job and a vocation wow that's a really interesting way of actually breaking that down of of into do you know they say if do what you love but if also then justifying sometimes you can't always do straight away what you love but you've also got the job to earn the money and and also having the the vocation of you know your passion projects and and doing what um also makes you happy as well so it sounds like you've got a really good mix yeah and I haven't I mean I didn't realize this until later in, in life because as of like going back to vocation I've always loved writing but I never thought it would make me money you know like I never thought that you know I just thought oh um you know like the, the starving artist or the, the the writer that's tucked away in a room with like dirty hair like I always had that image and I think you know, when you're growing up, especially with strict Asian parents, they're always drilling in you what the concept of a career or job is. Mm. So effectively, you are growing up living 
their dreams or whatever it is that, that they want you to set out to be. And then so I think at a point in life, you think, oh, my God, like, have I wasted all that time because you haven't fulfilled what it is that you want to do? And sometimes people might not know what they want to do and that's okay. But I think it helps, like with Elizabeth Gilbert's advice of kind of dividing it into what's a job for you, what's a career for you, and what's a vocation. Yeah, and I think also it's it's really around also what makes you happy. It's it's uh, it's not living with regret as well. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, it's what what makes you happy. And I think sometimes people put too much pressure on trying to to have a hobby or a vocation, like or a perfect career. I mean that. Like I think society puts too much pressure on that. I, I think of my friend who has a, a normal job, which she's fine with, but her job helps her to pay for the things that she wants to do. So she's an amateur photographer and, yeah, she goes on trips every single year, well, actually a couple of times in a year, and just takes amazing pictures. And it's, she can do that because of the job. Wow, no, that's really interesting. It's it's a really good way of um, a good perspective for I think for everyone uh, of actually breaking that down, and I think also might help resolve some people about what they're doing. And you've talked about how you've got you know job earning money and and that. Did this realization come to you after being a mother or becoming a mother, or is it something that you've sort of learned along the way? And and in becoming a mum, has it also changed your perspectives? about earning money and, and having a career and also then focusing on your dreams as well? Yeah, so I've always been quite entrepreneurial since I was a kid. And, I mean, I, I think I've had so many side hustles or little small ventures. I mean, I can't even count now because it's it's been so many. Like I remember, this is really bad, but when I was a kid, I used to walk around the neighbourhood, steal my neighbour's flowers create a bouquet and then stand at the front of my house to try to sell it yeah. and no one bought it because I didn't have a business plan I stole yeah <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I didn't have any marketing strategy so um, that was a bad business plan and in school I also created um, handmade earrings and I sold them that wasn't very successful because I uh yeah, it cost me too much to make it so uh, but anyway I, I've always been quite entrepreneurial I don't believe in putting all my eggs in one career basket or job basket because in this climate, it's always changing. People are making, people are being made redundant all the time. You know, so I, I think about, okay, you don't just have a plan B, but you need to have a plan B, C and D. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Because yeah, like, like I said, you just never know. And because I've got a child now and mortgage and everything, so many commitments that, you know, I can't just sit down and, and be still. I have to do something constantly to challenge myself, to learn new things, to meet new people. Uh, I think when you become so complacent that you just, you just don't learn and you just don't thrive. And I always find it important to make a, a conscious effort to be visible and I haven't always um I think when when I had my son I felt really lost and I think in that first year it was so hard because for me my career is a huge part of my identity like I'm very career orientated 
but I never admitted that until now because of the shame that it brings to, to just admitting that. I think nowadays it's, it's much more acceptable, but I think, you know, when you're starting out as a mum, you, you want everything to be perfect and you want everyone to, to think that, you know, you have it all, but really you don't. <laughs> nobody has it all like my hair right now is just full of dry shampoo and and that's okay like I've I've accepted it um because like I don't know you're constantly learning changing pivoting um yeah so I think being a mom has made me a lot more organized and think ahead basically because yeah like when you're younger like you don't have much to lose but now it's just like, there's just so much to lose. <laughs> yeah, there's so much more responsibility as well. There's more responsibility, yeah. Like, I think in a way it's exciting because like, I get to, to see my son grow up and I see him learn new things and change and develop and, and so am I. Obviously you're, you're very career focused. That perception of how that might play out when you become a mum, was that reality or did it... Did your expectation of yourself change as well? I thought I was going to slow down a lot. And I think it was because of what my parents expected me. And then it's not like I wanted to listen to them. Um, but I think it's just unconsciously what society, what family expectations tell you. And then I thought, okay, maybe I should slow down. And maybe I should put my ambitions behind. Maybe I will change my perspective on my career after I have my child. But what ended up happening was resentment because I've always been entrepreneurial, always been career orientated. And that's just me. And I have to accept that because that's, that's just who I am. And I'm happy now that I've realized and given myself that permission to thrive in my career choices because I've, I've, I understand who I am today. And I think, I think a lot of it has to do with self-awareness. Oh, definitely. And did that surprise you about how you thought, you know, you've got these expectations from your parents um, and, you know, overcoming what you like, society's perceived shame of uh of actually enjoying a career did that surprise you it's um yes and no i think i think my ambitions were just suppressed and i think you know when you have a child it's just such a confusing time because you're you're trying to learn who you are and this new job as well that you don't get prepared for no, there's no rule book, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, I read all the baby books, right? I hated them. I, I became so depressed. One of them was about sleep. I can't remember now. <laughs> but I just felt so depressed because, and, and when I was pregnant, I was following all these mum Facebook groups and then just learning, like, okay, yep, I have to do this. Yep, I have to do that. But then also no one really preps you up for the cultural barriers as well and the expectations. So, for example, um, you're expected to have like a month of confinement after you have a child and that's culturally very um, common for 
I think Greeks as well, Lebanese, um, yeah, and a lot of different Asian cultures, they, they do that practice. And the reason why, and I think, I think it's beautiful in a way because it gives you a month. When I say confinement, I mean, it's not that bad, but you're expected to stay at home and rest, recover while your mother or mother-in-law, whoever it is, cooks for you. But it, it sounds good in theory, but for me, it doesn't work because I like to get out there and do things. And if you do do that, it brings shame because if you are exerting yourself, then you aren't able to adequately provide for your child. And then back in the olden days, there was, you know, high mortality rates for children, for babies, right? So then that's why you are expected to stay indoors, not go anywhere, not catch any diseases or anything like that. Um, so that was a huge shock because I, that was what I was expected to do and also expected to stay at my in-laws place. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, there's a lot of little um, kind of cultural things that just pop up and I'm just like, whoa, I, I'm not prepared for this, you know. And, and as, I mean, even though my heritage is Asian, but being Australian-born and growing up, you know, in the Australian school system and, you know, it's, it's just, it's still a huge cultural shock for me. We came home from the hospital. You wanted to just, it was just my husband and I, we had family coming and going, but still understanding how you're going to, you know, even just getting to a routine of sleep and feeding and um, yeah, it certainly must be hard as well. Like you come and, like you actually wouldn't have gone home, you would have gone to your in-laws and all these new experiences, but also the expect, the cultural expectation of, and the cultural weight of um, what that comes with being quite challenging at times. Yeah, definitely. And you know what they say about when you marry someone, you marry into their family. Yes. <laughs> They're actually marrying their family. Sorry. It was like that. It was like that. Like, times a billion yeah <laughs> it's just like you know at first it's just you two right you, you and your husband or you and your partner whatever it is and then suddenly it's like so many people want to get involved um just because you've had a child and it's really overwhelming and what what i didn't do was speak up about it because my asian heritage taught me that you have to be quiet and really appreciate it, be really grateful for it. And, you know, don't, don't challenge people that are older than you. You should respect them and their views. So there was that kind of element. And I really wanted to say something, but I felt, oh, my God, I don't want to offend them. They're only trying to help. And in my brain, I was trying to rationalise the situation but then it just made me more and more anxious and depressed and I felt so lonely. That must have been tough. And so how did you go? Like what were some of the things that you went through? Um, and it was quite obviously a, quite a challenging period. And how did you then start to, I guess, find your way out, I guess, find a way out of it and find you again um, through this process? Yeah. I think I'm still trying to find myself <laughs> right now, like three, three and a half-ish years on. And I think it's a constant evolution. But in the beginning, what helped was talking to friends about it. Yep. And I did seek professional help as well. And I think there's a lot of 
I think, courage in that, in that it's okay to go out and ask for help. Um, I think as new mothers, we, we always want to control the situation and we're so fearful of judgment that people will think that we're bad mothers or bad parents, but we just need to let go. And, and seeing, seeking professional help really made me realise that and effectively become a better parent and a better person, even to myself. Yeah, so that, I think that's how I overcame it. Yeah, and that's um, kudos to you and, and definitely hats off. Uh, uh, the hardest step would actually have been, am I like, correct me if I'm wrong, the hardest step probably would have been actually acknowledging that you need help and then also then going about seek, and seeking that help. Yeah, definitely. And, yeah, going out and getting help. Uh, yeah, I think that's, I mean, that, even at work as well, like asking for help is not a bad thing. No, and just saying you don't know, it's, no, and being a mum, it's, uh, you know, I, I liken it to, you can go off, you know, you, you do degrees, you go to university, you study, you do, you study for your tests and your, and your exams, you get a certificate at the end saying this is what you're qualified for, um, and then, but with parenting, there's no qualifications, there's no guidebook, it's very, you know, the guidebooks are out there, but every child's different, every scenario is different, and it's, it is a challenge, that's for sure. Yeah, it is a challenge, um, definitely. And I think what we lack sometimes is just being kind to ourselves. Um, I, I mean, certainly I wasn't kind to myself in the first year. I was, you know, mixed emotions, lack of sleep, me wanting to get back to work, but then feeling guilty about it because I wanted to go back to work and, yeah, <laughs> just juggling all those emotions. Yeah, yeah, and that mum guilt—that mum guilt's real. Um, I don't think, I don't think you. I don't know if you can overcome it. <laughs> um, I'm, do you still experience mum guilt? I do it occasionally, but how I think of it is, there's things that we have control over and things that we don't, and so I think whatever situation it is, it's just making that clear distinction. And then if it's something that we don't have control over, then I think acknowledging that really makes you a bit more relaxed because it's like, okay, it's not me. Like just let it go for now and focus on the things that you can control over. So some of the things that we can control over are our emotions and the choices that we make in, in taking care of ourselves and taking care of our children, our partners whatever it may be. So I think it's just changing perspective and, and mindset that has really helped. Yeah. And is, how's your mindset? Obviously you're a very um, entrepreneurial and career orientated person. Has your mindset changed at all uh, since becoming a mum and, and uh, with, in respect to having a career and also being a mum? It has because the Difficulty with being entrepreneurial is that you always have so many ideas. Uh, I mean, for myself, I'm like a, a little activist, so I always want to change the world for the better and stuff. But then now you can change the world for the better through the businesses or business that you run. So every business, I think, has an obligation for social responsibility. 
And I think having that mindset of service, of helping others, has really helped me um, in my business. Yeah. So before it was just like any idea that would make money, you know, the quick win. Yep. Um, but I think there is value now in slowing down and really thinking it um, through carefully. Yeah. Yep. No, Putting together that proper strategy. Yeah. And I mean, having that mindset, I mean, it doesn't come when you're younger. So that's okay. It, it comes when you've got some work experience, you've made some mistakes, um, you've lost a lot of money, like, you know, that it comes once you've done that through that lived experience, through pain, and then um, yeah, you get that realisation. Yeah, yeah. And um, how did you go? Um, so obviously on maternity leave, did you choose when to go back to work with your employer or did you come up with another business idea during that time? And what was your re-entry back to work like um, after having your son? I, I took a year off work, but really I wanted to go back earlier. But I thought I should take a year off because it was what was expected. Yep. So again, I wasn't listening to what I wanted. And I came back to a new role. Uh, I was in a communications role and I was reporting to a different person. And at that time, the business had changed dramatically. There was a lot of restructures in between. Some of the people that I've worked with were no longer there. And, um, yeah, just it was really hard because I was learning a new job, getting along with a new manager, and, yeah, my job as a, as a mother as well. Yeah. And trying to juggle all of that. And also working part-time. I had never worked part-time before besides um, when I was at university. But, yeah, just adjusting to that. And I think when you work, or I can't speak for other people's experience, but my experience at the time was that I felt by working part-time, I wasn't valued as much. So I missed out on a lot of projects, a lot of opportunities because of the unconscious bias that people had that because... I was part-time, I'm a new mother, that I'm not ambitious. And I think, and studies back this up as well, that when you are of a culturally diverse background, especially Asian women, it's unconsciously seen that you're not ambitious. So then there's a few layers as well. Um, I remember one time I, I was, actually I was really open to a couple of people and I said, I'm open to, you know, such and such opportunities. Uh, please let me know um, if it does come up. And then eventually something did come up, but no one spoke to me about it, despite being very clear about what I wanted. And I don't, I don't know if it was personal. I think sometimes when you're at a huge corporate company and the business moves at a rapid pace, people forget. And people forget because you're, part-time and because you're not as visible you're not as physically visible it's that out of sight out of mind scenario correct correct yeah yeah so i mean <laughs> it happens but, yeah it's, it's and it's sad that it's um there is that unconscious bias out there because uh i know so many different scenarios and actually talking with different people they say they'll tr they're coming back to work and people assumed that they did not want 
the next career opportunity because they thought, well, for the first few months, you're going to be settling into being a mum, managing um, childcare and job, and you don't need any more, you don't need any new challenges. And it's like, well, no, I mentally want to be challenged. And mentalize me because I'm a mum. Yeah, that's right. And like, you, that's why, like, I mean, some of us are, you know, fortunate that we have family and partners to help, to help out as well. Like, utilize it. If you have it, utilize it. Like, don't try to control every single situation. Like, let it go and, and be really clear about what you want. Um, I think sometimes we make the mistake of assuming that people know, but you can't always assume because your life has changed so much and then people form these opinions that you don't even realise until it happens and you're like, holy crap. Yeah, and look, you don't know what's actually happening behind the scenes with certain people. Sometimes it might be easy for some people to return to work, others it might be um, a little bit more of a challenge and there's a lot of emotions that come with it as well. But at the same time, in, like communication with the employ- between employer and employee is so important. So if, like what you say, if they want the opportunities, they should be open to them. Yeah. And you're going to run across really crappy managers. So I think don't wait for people to ask you. Just own it and just say it. Because in, in my HR role, like I've seen so many shit managers and sometimes I often think, you know, how? how? <laughs> Why are you in position? Like how did you get here? Like what the hell? But there's so many bad ones out there and you, you can't you can't expect them to to know what's good for you um, and, and ask those questions. Like these managers, sometimes they don't have that emotional intelligence and then they can't kind of have a different perspective, especially if they're not, they haven't been a mother or a parent. They, they wouldn't know. So have that conversation and be really clear. And I think, yes, it does take a lot of courage to to have those conversations but just know that you can you should have those conversations and maybe practice with someone like a, a colleague or a friend um if you have like a mentor like just talk through other people or someone else in the business um, that you trust about some ideas because it's so important yeah go after what you want so um, on that, is there any, from your experiences, not only as a working mother, but also from a HR perspective relating to women on maternity leave, returning to work and even flexible work, do you mm-hmm. have any tips, hints, tricks um, and advice for fellow mummers on, on how they sort of navigate some of those different challenges that may come up? Yeah, sorry, did you say mothers-to-be, did you say? Could be mothers to be, yeah. Um, yeah. I guess the spectrum, because I guess it's a, it's an issue that people sometimes may shy away from. I even heard the story yesterday of someone she was caught, she's four months pregnant, starting to show, and someone said the scenario. Oh, here's another one, and you're thinking she's only going to be gone for not that long. She's a mother. It's human nature, but it's unfortunate that there are sometimes these biases in workplaces, which is really sad to hear. Yeah, so what my recommendation is to speak up about it and I know it's easier said than done but I think now is a great time because there's a lot of social movement right now and 
we should all be empowered to speak up about it, call it out. Every workplace has a dispute uh, resolution, uh, what is it, um, a complaints uh, procedure. Use it, talk to someone about it, mention it, make a noise about it because when we don't say something about it, we're almost condoning it and we're almost making it acceptable. acceptable yeah. And if you are brave enough, confront the person and then say, uh, you know, what, what did you mean? Like ask them all these questions. Like what do you mean when you said and another one? Like ask those questions. Like don't, don't like go full defensive in the first go. Like just get them to explain it and then they'll realise that, oh, crap, I've got my foot in my mouth. <laughs> so really communication and, and speaking up with those unconscious biases around the whole process. So it's not only about return to work and communicating and speaking up that you want those uh, career opportunities if, if that's something of interest to you, uh, but also communicating what you want as well. Yeah, yeah, call that out. Um, like I, I'm a firm believer in if you want to solve an issue, like have that conversation directly rather than passively and kind of dancing around the issue. I follow Brene Brown and she talks about having, you know, brave conversations and, and tough conversation. And, yeah, no one wants to. It's like they'd rather move like another suburb or something like that yeah. <laughs> or another country to, just to avoid the conversation. But, hey, it feels so much better afterwards. But I think you can only get to that stage if you have a support network. So it could be a supportive manager, a supportive partner, a group of friends that will have your back. So, yeah, it, it can only happen when we have that environment. And also what you've started as well, Karina, like you've started this amazing working mama thing and, you know, you're building a community where people can just vouch for each other and just kind of like virtual high fives or hugs. Yes, definitely virtual hugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like we do need that. And like I think your community would be a, a great one to share kind of some, you know, ideas or scenarios like, you know, such and such happen. Like how do I navigate that situation how do I have that conversation and it's it's good to ask because when we are in that situation we're so like you know we're high on the emotions and we, we may not be able to think straight and and we're only thinking one way but you know of course context matters and there's always you know other things so um yeah it, it's it's great value for for people to work with each other to brainstorm how to solve the particular situation rather than just automatically assuming this person's an asshole or something like that. Yeah, so. and yeah, definitely. Yeah. And getting other perspectives on is certainly important. And that's really through this podcast is, um, is that what we're also trying to achieve as well is actually sharing different people's experiences because no one has the same experience around you know, motherhood, career and, and managing the juggle. Yeah, that's right. Like, I mean, no one, no one has it together and, even our, our leaders as well, our managers, they, they're not great. Sometimes they're not great. And then sometimes we, we, sometimes we need to manage up and that's an important thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like if, if your manager hasn't, if you're pregnant and your manager hasn't contacted you, well, yeah, they're a crap manager. Well, why don't you give them a call then? So, you know, it's, 
yes, it should be their responsibilities, but you know, sometimes people aren't that smart. (laughs) (laughs) If something's not happening, help make it happen. Just make it happen. Just don't, you know, the problem is sometimes we have that kind of internal dialogue of, oh, if this person is not talking to me, maybe they hate me. Maybe is it something that I said on Facebook that offended them, you know, just making up all these scenarios when it could be that, hey, they don't know how to have these conversations or, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It could be anything. So um, anyway, but, yeah, going back to the whole, um, my advice would just be open communication. And you obviously have got, like your, your job and career is what we've spoken about. Um, how do you manage the juggle? Do you work flexibly still to be able to, uh, to do what you're doing? And, and what's your approach to that at the moment? I work flexibly. So I work pretty much seven days a week, but it's, it's not all day. It's, you know, bits and pieces here and there. So yes, I, I work flexibly. And it's also ensuring that you have people to help you. So whether it be family or friends that can kind of chip in and help uh so for my business i think i i am a lot more efficient when i ask for help and ideas so that way that would save me time later on so that i could spend more time with my family yep yeah and just i don't have it together like (laughs) sometimes I'm, i'm i'm up midnight Actually, there have been times where I've been up midnight a couple of nights in a row and I don't sleep very much and that's okay because I'm just fueled by sheer passion and adrenaline in, in what I'm doing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit of a workaholic, but I'm happy. Yeah. You know what? That's the main thing. If you, if you can be happy, I think that's, uh, that's a recipe to a good life. Yes, yes. No, I am definitely happy. <laughs> yeah. Now, Catherine, um, obviously you've had a lot of expectations put on you by your family and, and the like um, as part of a career and, and becoming a mum. But if you had to wind the clock back, what advice would you give to your younger self about starting a family and then also then having the juggle of a career and being a mum? First of all, I would recommend being kind to yourself and don't try to control everything like don't micromanage every situation and set boundaries earlier on I think that's really important so for example um yeah setting boundaries of like my my in-laws used to come in all the time unannounced (laughs) which was my worst nightmare and I didn't say anything and so I think if I had set something early on it would have been a lot better and because you know when you do something and if you do it a few times you think okay this is acceptable and then so um yeah so setting boundaries like you know you need to come at a you know you need to call me first or if you are coming it needs to be at a certain time you know just things like that um and um yeah be clear about what you want don't assume that people are mind readers because we're not and, um, yeah, just be prepared for myself, be prepared with the cultural barriers as well because that wasn't something that I was prepared for. So it was like a huge shock culturally for me. And just have fun. Um, I think sometimes we forget to have fun. 
Yeah. Sometimes I think we're so worried and particularly as mothers, we're thinking five steps ahead about what everyone else is doing and we forget to take time out and go, oh, we need to make this fun. And, you know, uh, you know, sometimes that nursery rhyme for the hundredth time might not sound exciting, but it's still yeah. Oh, and another thing is earlier on, on Instagram, I followed all these wags. If <laughs> <laughs> um, footballers, wives and stuff. And, uh, you know, they always look perfect, perfect skin. And their kids always looked amazing with their posh clothes. And I was like, oh, like I was comparing myself. It's really bad that that was in the beginning. I compared myself. I was like, oh, why don't I look polished? Like one boob is bigger than the other. Full of dry shampoo. I feel like shit all the time. And that was really bad. And I know I'm not the only one that does that, but I knew that was toxic. But, you know, you just can't help it. That just, yeah. Like when you're at home alone and your baby's asleep and then like sometimes we switch off by, you know, going on our phones, checking Instagram and stuff. But it's so bad. So it's dangerous. It can be quite dangerous. Yeah, it's dangerous. So, yeah, if you can, digitally switch off. As much as you can. No, that's, that's definitely uh, some good advice because I think you can get you can get lost and go down a bit of a rabbit hole, and um, those early days are tough uh, as well. And you think, well, she's bounced back after four weeks of having a child, and you're like, I've still got my baby fat well and truly. It's uh, it, it's it can be quite psycho- psychologically very hard. Yeah, that's right, definitely. And there's just so much, you know, fat shaming, body shaming out there. For me, it was actually, and I know that listeners are going to hate me, but it was actually skinny shaming for me because I, when I'm stressed, I don't eat. And, of course, when you don't eat, you lose weight. Yeah. And then so, and then on top of that, I didn't sleep very much. So then my face was really gaunt. Like I looked sick and then my family kept on shaming me about it. Like you should eat more. Because if you don't eat, you're not providing for your son, which effectively means that you're a bad parent. And every single time they came over, they would say that. And then one time I just lost it. (laughs) Stop it. Stop saying that to me. I'm like, just leave me alone. Like, you know, I'm tired. You know, I'm not perfect. Just back off. Yeah. I felt better after saying that yeah did they respond to that they did they did and I think it would have helped me if I said that earlier on but I didn't I just wanted to be respectful yeah it certainly sounds like you've had a lot of challenges um, particularly from the cultural perspective and and not only from um, being a mum but also from from the career choices as well oh yeah like um, when I think it was the day before no actually the same day uh, I was I was going to go back to work and I was really excited. I was like, well, my clothes are ironed, my hair's nice. And then my mum asked me, she was there, are you sure you want to go back to work? Oh. You know, I feel really bad that your son's in childcare. He's only 11 months, still very little. He needs his mum. Are you sure? He's going to get sick, you know. He's going to pick up all these bugs. and." You know, it's going to get bruises. And I was thinking, Mom, you tell me this 
20 minutes before I leave the house to go to work. What the hell? What the hell? And I, I know that it was in good intention, but I think psychologically, you know, that conversation still haunts me today. Like it was, people were excited. Well, some people were excited that I was back. You know, they were like, oh, you know, um, how's it going and stuff. But then like I felt, oh, my God, I felt so guilty and I couldn't, I was hiding behind a mask. I couldn't fully express how I felt because I was just so confused in that last, the first couple of months. Um, yeah, you're thinking, you're feeling one way, but you're expected to feel another and. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's what society is expecting of you versus what you personally are experiencing in your own right. And everyone has different perceptions of, of you know, going back to work. I know me personally, I'm a better mum by working. And I don't, I'm not ashamed to actually say that either. Yeah, same here. I'm a better person, a better mum, a better friend because I work. And when people ask me, like, are you sure? Like, you know, you're working so hard. I said, yep, I'm sure like this, this is what I need to do at this moment in time. Yeah. And I think whatever works for you is, is the main thing. Everyone's got a different, different way about going, um, of, of managing it. So on that, what are some of your strategies that you do to help you manage the juggle of, actually, we need to get into this as well, um, of your job, your career and, and your vocation using the, the uh, Elizabeth yeah. references. How do you manage it all, and what are your strategies to managing the juggle? Yeah, I'm still learning. I'm still learning, and what I've realised is that I fall into the trap of overcommitting. So, uh, which is really bad. Like, for example, my book. I, I said that I would finish it by the end of the year, and it's not going to work. I'm not going to because I just launched a business earlier this month so yeah <laughs> it's not happening <laughs> but trying to schedule in time like my diary I'm very strict with my diary now so yeah scheduling time for family for career development for learning for networking and open communication as well so I used to feel really guilty about going to all these after work events but now I say to my husband I need to go to this event. I'm going to meet X, Y, and Z, which is going to help with this project that I'm working on. I need to go. And so I'm being really firm. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's like, yep, yeah, okay. Like he used to question me a lot about, you know, why I'm doing this and why I'm doing that. But then now I'm like a bit more proactive and sort of like answering all his questions all in one go. I think also what's important is your mindset and being really flexible because no matter how organized you are, things are going to happen in the last minute. So, you know, the dreaded phone call from daycare, you know, that is inevitable and it has happened a couple of times. And then just allowing yourself to think it's okay, you know, this happens and, you know, children recover really quickly and I think we worry more than we should. So in terms of strategy, like I I don't have like a secret or anything like that. I think it's just, trying to be as organized as you can get as much help as you can like let go and have a flexible mindset oh i think that's great 
great advice. And I don't think anyone's got the, the magic mirrorball um, in relation to managing the juggle, but it's great to hear the different insights that people have to understand as well what works for them. And so what's the business that you've just recently launched? Give us some insights. Ooh, I'm glad you asked. Yeah. <laughs> so I started a business called Keynote Worthy a couple of weeks ago. And I started it because I love learning. I'm, I'm a curious person. So when people meet me, I'm always wanting to know what makes them tick um, and that sort of thing. And then so I go to a lot of events and conferences and also through my work as well, uh, I report on a lot of events. And then what I was finding was that these events, like all the speakers, were all the same. So you've got the typical celebrities, um, the professional speakers, like the ones that, yeah, actually do it for a living. Yep. And, I mean, I think there's a place for that, but I think after talking to so many people, people are sick of that, seeing the same faces. And usually the same faces are the same sort of demographic. And if you think about how diverse Australia is, and I don't mean diverse as in culturally, but, you know, also genders, also neurolinguistically, diverse in perspectives as well. Um, I guess that's why TED Talks are so popular because you get such a random, beautiful assortment of people who just are just experts in their field, but they're not necessarily celebrities. And then I thought, okay, so, you know, I was looking at, you know, why, why is there this problem? And it's not because people want to see these people. I mean, some of them do, but I think it's just an element of laziness, like with event organisers. And, and also they make excuses that there's not enough talent out there. But BS, there is a lot of talent. Out. Yeah, so then I thought, okay, if you think that you can't find talent then I'm just going to create a platform to, to have all these amazing speakers, these emerging and experienced speakers on. And so that's what I created and it's grown so fast. Like, okay, so right now, what are we? Almost end of October. So I launched three weeks ago. I've got about 150 on there now. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. So no marketing, no PR just through spreading my message, sharing my story, and then asking people to share it um, if they really believe in that mission. And, um, yeah, I'm really excited. And I'm, I'm actually screening every single profile that comes through and I'm just amazed at, you know, how come I haven't heard of you before? Like, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> doing amazing things and it's just so beautiful and yet no one has heard of well I haven't heard of them and, and these voices deserve to be heard and I thought why aren't these people booked and so that yeah that's exactly what I'm creating and yeah I'm, I'm excited and that's why I've been up at like 12 or 1 o'clock at night just screening through every bio and because I am a writer and an editor I can't help but kind of fix little typos yeah. <laughs> kind of format it and, you know, kind of finesse it a little bit because I also do write bios for people. And so, um, yeah, <laughs> so then it does take a bit of time, but I get so much joy out of it. It's crazy. And, um, yeah, I love it. So I've created this and, like, so many event organisers are like, you know, I've been – wanting this for a long time but there wasn't anything out there like this and 
yeah, I'm excited. So it's almost like a movement. And I think everyone should be involved because we all go to events and conferences. So, you know, whether you're an individual or a venue host or an organisation or a speaker, like I think we can all kind of take action and, and say no when we see lack of diversity at events. I mean, to this day, we're still seeing um, panels, like all male panels, and then some of them are talking about women issues. I think PayPal had that last year or the year before. I mean, these are big companies. Like, how? I know. I love like WTF. Yeah, it frustrates me when I see an all-male panel talking about even workplace diversity and workplace flexibility. I'm thinking, yep, are, are you all working parents? Do you have children? Are your wives even working as well? Because I'd yeah. love to know that background because, yeah, just – and then, look – as someone who previously has also booked speakers, you've got the same websites that you go to, you've got the same bios. And I think that's a, a really refreshing approach to also find uh, probably better speakers with a more robust uh, presentation. So congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I think when people view diversity these days, they only think, oh, is it male or female? Oh, female. Okay. Tick kind of tick a box but really for for me it's essentially diverse perspectives so if you're going to have the same people they're all just going to furiously nod in agreement and how boring is that and they'll give the same speech <laughs> as well that's right how boring like i just don't understand but anyway i like what i've created it's it's not a a speaker's bureau like it's it's free and um, and I know that speaker agencies, they take so much money out of the speakers. It's almost like unethical how much money they're making. And, and yeah. I'm like, you know, shouldn't have to be that way. No, definitely not. So, no, that's fantastic. So uh, where can people connect with you um, to find out more about um, Keynote Worthy? Sure. Well, people can connect with me personally on LinkedIn. Um, I hang out a lot on LinkedIn, stalking people. Yeah. <laughs> nah. Well, yes, in a non-creepy way. Uh, so it's Catherine NGO. Um, that's my LinkedIn. Uh, but in terms of Keynote Worthy, it's key, uh, so Keynote and then worthy.com.au. I'm also on uh, Keynote Worthy. is also on Facebook and Instagram and also on LinkedIn. So check it out and I promise you these events will be what I like to call experiential. <laughs> I promise no kombucha or dancing and stuff. It's, it's not going to be like woo-woo or anything like that. It's just going to be a bit more interactive and I think when something's a bit more interactive, we learn more. Definitely. So watch this space. Oh, I can't wait. You'll have to keep us posted. Finally, just want to know, for someone who's so busy, staying up all hours of the night, writing your book and, and doing Keynote Worthy and, and still having a part-time job and also being a mom and a wife in the middle of all that, how do you fill your cup? How do I fill my cup? How do you fill your cup? What self-care do you do? Um, and yeah. For Catherine. Sure. Whoa, I write. Yeah. <laughs> Other than that. So writing my book is actually self-care for me because like I, this is a project that I've been 
working on for quite some time. But then other than that, I, I have a cheeky glass of wine every now and then, but it's my Audi wine. Oh. <laughs> I love my Audi wines and I have a massage every two weeks. Yep. And so she, she's really lovely. She comes to my place. So indulgent. Like I feel like so spoiled, but she comes to my place because like I'm, I'm quite small and like she massages me in a way that's like, it doesn't hurt me, but it actually like kind of gets into all the, you know, the knots because I'm at the computer a lot. So I think that's, that's self-care for me. And I think cooking as well. I don't get to cook very often, but I, I find it quite therapeutic to actually make a lovely meal. So that's how I fill my cup. Well done. That's amazing. Well, I think we could keep talking all day, Catherine, but unfortunately, uh, we're pretty much, I think, at the end. But I just want to thank you. Yeah. I just want to thank you so much for your time. And I'm sure a lot of uh, fellow mamas, particularly ones uh, that are from culturally um, diverse backgrounds, will take lots of inspiration from your story and certainly relate to a lot of the experiences that you have. Uh, I wish you luck. Um, and best of luck with your new business, Keynote Worthy. Good luck with the book. Uh, can't wait to read it. And certainly for all you mamas out there, for your next conference, please reach out to Catherine and use um, some of her speakers. So, Catherine, thank you once again. Thank you, Karina, and congratulations on the podcast. Thank you so much. We'll see you soon. All right. Bye. bye. Thank you for listening to the Working Mama podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast catch-up. I invite you also to join the Working Mama community on Facebook and join in the conversation with other like-minded working mums. Please also feel free to contact me on any of the Working Mama social channels. Remember, mama is M-U-M-M-A. Via Instagram at workingmama underscore A-U or website www.workingmama.com.au. I would appreciate you to share this podcast with friends and colleagues, especially those that are parents managing the juggle. And I would really appreciate if you had to take the time out to leave a review of the podcast. I'll be giving a shout out to select people that do so. So stay listening and you might be one of them. Thank you and see you next time. Have a great week.